I thought maybe it might be worth saying, in case it appears completely random, that there are different types of sermon series that we have here over the sweep of time. So there are some sermon series that are focused around uh, more around challenge, and then there are others that are focused more around comfort. That there are some sermon series that get us to think a lot about God and who He is and what He does. And then there are other sermon series, like the one we've just left, Inside Out, that looks a lot about what we should be in response to what God has done. There are some sermon series that are topics, and we take a theme, and we we, we, we shoot about the Bible, picking up the thread of a theme. And then there are other sermon series that take the book, uh, one of the books of the Bible, as its kicking-off point, and we journey through it. And uh, this sermon series is one of those amongst other things. I think it would be, um, uh, it certainly be an encouragement to me and uh, maybe to uh, others of you if you're uh, inhabit Twitter sphere uh, to tweet every now and again something that you hear that you think is worth broadcasting. I'm very happy for you to have your smartphones out. I'm very happy for you uh, to tweet, tag it, mention it, uh, create a bit of noise. It's interesting the, the conversation that it evokes throughout the week because of things that have been tweeted in uh, this part of our, our service. So feel free to uh, uh, do that. Uh, and if I, if, if I go on the social networking sites and I discover that between 11.30 and 12 o'clock you've been tweeting other things or you've been liking other things or you've been posting photos of other things, then I will hound you and track you down and I will, don't know what I'll do. Uh, uh, seriously, uh, it's quite an important way of us creating a bit of noise about what God's doing um, in, in the social network space, so feel free to do that. As we get underway with this book of Ezekiel, turn to the person next to you and uh, tell them what you know about the book of Ezekiel. Go. <laughs> Okay, hands up if you realized it was a book in the Bible. Great. Hands up if you knew he was a prophet. Hands up if you knew he was a priest. Hands up if you could describe the kind of era, the, the, the time in Israel's history uh, uh, when Ezekiel was speaking. Hands up, not many. Hands up if you could say roughly what the book's about. Good. That's easy for me. I can say what I like and you'll go, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's really helpful. Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 1 this morning rims high and awesome. Let's get underway together. Meet first of all then Ezekiel in the opening few verses, particularly Ezekiel ch- verse chapter 1 and verse 
3, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, what a great name, son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. Ezekiel, we're told, is a priest. He's just turned 30 years of age. Verse 1 tells us that. It's most likely dating uh, his age. He's just turned 30. And his dad, Boozy, we know from later on in the book, was also a priest. And that shouldn't surprise us because priests were, were running families. You were, you, you were part of the lineage of priests coming down from Aaron, who was Moses' brother. There were families of priests that begat families of priests. So the fact that you were a priest meant that your father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-grandfather would also have been a priest. It defined who you were. It wasn't just about the job that you did, but it said much about who you were as a family, your pedigree, and so on. And so Ezekiel had always been brought up in and around the temple in Jerusalem. That's where the priests worked. They organized the worship in the temple that was central to the people's worship of God. So Ezekiel would have learned from early days all about the sacrifices. He would have learned how to do all the sacrifices. He would have learned all the words associated with the sacrifices and the different worship services. He would have memorized the teachings of the Torah the first five books of the Bible, and quite likely knew um, many more passages by memory that are now part of our scriptures. In other words, he was at the very heart of what God was doing with his people. And Ezekiel was looking forward to the day when he would take over the family business. After 30 years getting ready, you became a priest, according to Leviticus. You weren't allowed to be a priest much younger than that. But, where is he? Where is Ezekiel? At the moment, his whole upbringing is about to make sense. Where is Ezekiel? At the moment, that all that he's been trained for, he's about to be released into. Ezekiel finds himself 700 miles away from Jerusalem and its temple and he's down by the Kabar River in Babylon. Whenever in the Jewish psyche someone said the Kabar River in Babylon, everyone knew what they were talking about. It's a bit like when we say today 9-11. Everybody knows what we're talking about. And so whilst it doesn't say it in so many words in these verses, everybody knew what they were talking about. You see, the people of God had been overrun by King Nebuchadnezzar. And in being overrun by King Nebuchadnezzar, in order, who was the king of Babylon, in order to make sure that there were no uprisings in his growing empire, he would take the best, the educated, the the, the status-filled, the the rich, the influential people away from their homeland and take them into exile, into the city of Babylon. And Ezekiel was one of those. 
meet Ezekiel, he's in the wrong place. And it's hard to underestimate how devastating it was for a pagan king to conquer God's people and for a pagan king to take the priests and the rabbis and the movers and shakers back with them into that pagan land. The temple there in Jerusalem was for the people of God a promise, a certainty that God was on his throne and he loved his people. The land in which they lived, the land of Judah and Israel, was a promise to the people that they belonged to God and he was their God. And they'd lost the land and the temple as the king Nebuchadnezzar had taken them into exile. So you need to understand that as you meet Ezekiel at the beginning of this book, he is a man who has lost everything. What can a priest do? In Babylon. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it's worse than that. It's not just that Ezekiel didn't have those things that helped him make sense of God. It's not just that Ezekiel didn't have those touch points that helped him to remember that God was true and trustworthy. Worse than that, Ezekiel was now at the Kabar River in Babylon. And Babylon was ruled by Ishtar, meet the one who reigns in Babylon. Ishtar, the god of Babylon, was the god of love and war and fertility and sexuality. She was a horrible, aggressive god in their psyche. And as an exile, you would be brought not just out of your own country, but you would be brought into Babylon through the Ishtar gate. This is a reconstruction. Massive, massive gate dedicated to Ishtar to make sure you knew that in this place you were now under the reign. You were within the rule. The God here was Ishtar. It didn't matter what God you knew before. It didn't matter what God you worshipped elsewhere. It didn't matter what your worldview used to be. This was Ishtar's house and you would bow down and worship. She was God in this place. You see, as a priest, you met God in the temple. As a priest, you worshipped God through the rituals of the temple. As a priest, as Ezekiel was, you heard God speak to you in the temple. So what now for Ezekiel? What now for Ezekiel in Babylon? What now for Ezekiel in Ishtar's house? What now for him by the Kabar River? He'd lost everything. And it's, it's, it's impossible maybe to overemphasize where Ezekiel and his friends found themselves. Often when the things that, 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 that are precious to us get stripped away, we will say, at least I still have Jesus. At least I still have my faith. You ever said that? You might have lost your spouse, you might have lost your children, you might have lost uh, your job, your whole world might have been turned upside down. But many of us will say in that moment, I've still got God. You have to understand that for Ezekiel and his mates, who were taken away from the area where their God reigned, it felt like they'd lost God as well. 
everything gone. They'd lost him too. And at some point within this time frame, and it's hard to be exactly sure why or when, Ezekiel loses his wife. A beautiful verse later on in Ezekiel about his wife being the delight of his eyes. And, and she dies shortly after he arrives in Babylon. I want you to imagine where he is. He's lost everything, totally disorientated. Where is God? Where is God by the Kabar River? Where is God when you've lost everything? Where is God when all the things that helped you make sense of your life have been stripped away? And where is God when it feels like the place that you're now in is a place where God seems to have no due restriction, seems to have no power, seems doesn't to be able to do anything here because it's some other person's house. In this case, it's Ishtar's house, but it could be any other God that we worship these days. Any other pagan uh, way of life, secular way of life. Any other place where God is not honoured. Where is God? Is God trapped in the ritual religion of the temple in Jerusalem? Is God stuck in stained glass windows or immortalised in different services, however good they were and what happened at the temple was the best that it could be? Is God stuck there? No. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. There in that place, there in that time, there in those circumstances, God showed up in Babylon. It is hard to overemphasize how surprised Ezekiel would have been that God should speak to him there. Lovely phrases, though, in these opening verses. Excuse me. God showed up in Babylon. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And verse 1 tells us what happened when God showed up by the Kabar River in Babylon. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. There... In that place, a place that you couldn't imagine to be more secular or more pagan or more ungodly or less like the place that he had come from and he had known. There in that place, God shows up, not as some wimpish, ineffectual deity overwhelmed by the power of Ishtar, but God shows up in blazing power and glory. There in that place. And when Ezekiel saw God in all his blazing glory, it tells us at the end of the chapter that all he could do was to fall down and worship. All he could do was to fall face down. Maybe, maybe back in the temple, Ezekiel had known a vision of God and he'd fallen face down before. And that may not have surprised him because that's how it worked. That's where God lived. That's where God worked. But here, 
by the Kabar River in this pagan land that God should reveal himself there with such power and with such might and with such glory that Ezekiel was swept off his feet would have taken him totally by surprise. What took him from worry to worship was a vision of the sovereignty of God. Try and imagine what Ezekiel saw that day by the Kubar River as I read some snippets of it from Ezekiel chapter 1. It's this amazing show of all kinds of stuff. Wings and faces and wings spreading this way and that way. Verse 12, each one went straight ahead. Whenever the Spirit would go, they would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures were like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. I don't know what you're imagining. It's like an amazing show where there is so much going on in the scene. You can't take it all in. Everywhere you look, there is something happening that's bright that's bright and vibrant and filled with life. Everywhere you look, there's a lot of detail, but all you can see, you're mesmerized by all that's going on. Verse 15, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Verse 18, brilliant. Their rims were high and awesome. And all four rims were full of eyes all around them. God showed up. I love this. Every Top Gear fan loves this. God showed up in Babylon with rims that are high and awesome. With wheels that every bloke goes, wow. I want your wheels. And if you imagine the young kid who wants to show that he rocks, that he rules the world, he'll drive up and down Felixstowe front with wheels that are high and awesome to say, I'm the one in charge round here. And it comes from Ezekiel where God showed up in a foreign land with rims high and awesome as if to say, I can turn up wherever I want and I can do whatever I want because my wheels will go where I tell my wheels to go. How cool is that? Good, good, I'm glad. We're all on the same page. What do we see? What, what are we learning? What, what are we, what, what, what's sinking into our hearts as we try and get into Ezekiel's world, world and, uh, and read these verses from Ezekiel 1? First of all, Number one, God is bigger. God is bigger than your situation. Do you know that? God is bigger than your situation. When God turns up with rims that are high and awesome, God is saying, you might think I can't work here. You might think I'm powerless here. You might think I'm trapped in temples and churches and in different peoples and places, but here I am in a blaze of my glory. God not constrained or controlled by circumstances and situations. If God turns up in Ishtar's house, the demonic capital 
of the world, then God can rock up wherever and whenever he likes. Wouldn't you agree? He can show up anytime, any place. There is nothing that he cannot do because his rims are high and awesome. Ezekiel's theology is blown to smithereens. You see, Ezekiel knew that he could meet God in the temple. He knew he could worship God in the temple. He knew he could serve God in the temple, but not here. Not in Babylon, not where Ishtar ruled, not in this house, not in this pagan land, not in this secular country. In Jerusalem, maybe, but never here by the Kabar River. In the temple, yes, for sure, but never here with these people. And we need our theology blown apart just like Ezekiel did. We know here, most of us, that we can worship God in certain places and in certain ways. We know, most of us, that we can meet God and we can hear him speak in certain ways and in certain places. We know that God can work in mighty power, but effectively, we only expect that to happen in certain ways and in certain places. We might expect God to do something here on a Sunday, but what about out there on a Monday? We might expect to hear God speak in here on a Sunday, But what about him speaking out there on a Monday? We might expect in the worship and in the praying and in the sense of community to sense God rocking up with his great wheels that everyone longs to have here, but but not out there. Not not out there in my neighbourhood that's full of all kinds of problems and tensions. Not, Not in my school or classroom with its idols of image and sexuality. Not not in my workplace with its backbiting, backstabbing, dishonouring culture. I expect to meet God here, but not in work tomorrow. I expect to hear God speak, but, but not in my street. I expect to hear God speak, but not in my school. And we can live as if God has no power there. And suddenly we're like Ezekiel, believing that the place matters. Anyone tracking? Are you with me? So we got a soul survivor, and we meet God there, and God does amazing stuff there. But we all understand that for our young people, it's hard to believe that God can do that same stuff here, isn't it? Because it's so deep in our psyche that God's locked into places and different ways and special people. I hope so-and-so is preaching today because then we might hear God speak. I hope so-and-so prays for me because then God might do something. I hope that that situation, whatever it is, and we lock God into certain places. We know that God can move in mighty power, but that's what he does in other parts of the world. We know that churches can grow really fast, but that's other churches where that happens. And we have to repent. Ezekiel chapter 1, we have to turn around from living as if God works in certain ways and in certain places and in other places and in other ways. He cannot show up in all his sovereign power. Because he can. Because he can. And help our unbelief, Lord God, that we have acted as if the God of the universe can only work in certain places and in certain ways. And we need to repent. What's your impression of the vision as you read it? Do you get a clear picture in your mind of what's going on? I doubt it. 
It's overwhelming. All these words and images and which way to look and wheels turning and then not turning and creatures going that way and wheels going a different way and then there's some lights and some torches, then there's some wings hovering and all this going on. It's hard to imagine. Hard to take it all in. Hard to understand it. Why? Because God is bigger than your understanding. Did you know that? God is way bigger than your understanding. And people say, I'm not going to believe in God because I don't understand it. Save us from the day when we worship a God that some human being understands. The fact that we do not understand him is totally reasonable and utterly expected. And we should not, in the end, try to understand what ultimately we know we can never understand. I'm not against apologetics and rational logic and all of that stuff. But, but, but there's a sense in which we cannot ever figure God out with our minds because our minds are way too small. And if we could understand him, if we could control him, if we could put him in a box, then what kind of pathetic God would he be? Really important. I think for some of you this morning, really sense. God didn't speak to Ezekiel's head, but in these verses... God spoke to his heart. You see, when, when God turns up to Ezekiel, who feels like he's lost everything, who feels like his world's been blown apart, God didn't turn up and give him a set of propositions. Do you know Ezekiel? I'm omnipotent. All-powerful. Ezekiel, I'm omniscient. I'm all-knowing. God did not go through a list of things. Speaking to Ezekiel's head. In a sense, God bypasses all of Ezekiel's intellect because even if God could engage in Ezekiel's intellect, his intellect would be never enough to grasp and to know and to understand. Jesus did exactly the same. When Jesus came, he didn't speak words of flat truth to people's heads, but he told them stories to capture their Hearts. Here's a tweet coming up. What we need is not God to speak in propositions, but what we need is a personal encounter. And I think one of the troubles is we we want our minds to get it sometimes. It's a huge lesson in, 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 in life. Suffering, pain, and loss. We, we know what it is to be Ezekiel when so many of the things that are important to us get stripped away. And, and what we want to do is we want to get it in our minds. So after a really difficult season, people will say, I just need time to think. To think. Or, if only I could understand why? Or, eventually I hope to get my head round what's happened to me. Where are you putting your trust? You're putting your trust in your mind. Our minds will not save us. Our minds cannot understand the depths and riches of God. It's an encounter with the Sovereign One that we need. And Ezekiel speaks to, uh, sorry, God speaks to Ezekiel in such a way that it doesn't engage Ezekiel's mind. 
but becomes a personal encounter of his heart. There are things that are too big and too painful for you to get your head around. And we need God to go directly to our hearts. Anyone sense what we might be talking about there? We want to figure it all out in our heads, as if by understanding it, our heads will save us. We have to repent from that. Effectively, we're saying that our intellect will sort us out. If only I could think straight about this. You can't think straight about the things of God because they're way bigger than you. Ezekiel 1 teaches that God is bigger than your understanding. And you don't need propositions. I I know you do. Don't write to me and say about truth and theology. I, I understand all of that, absolutely, totally. But what we need in our walk with Jesus is not more proposition, but a personal encounter. That's what God offered Ezekiel when he shows up by the Kabar River. And wherever your Kabar River is today, that's what God wants to do for you. Lastly, Ezekiel 1 teaches us that God is bigger than your exile. Exile was a reality for God's people in the Old Testament. Many of them were taken away from their, from their families and their homeland. They lost everything. But we've all known exile, haven't we? We've all known loss and disorientation. We've all known things being destroyed. We've, we've all known the life as we know it being burnt and smashed for rubble, which is what happened to Jerusalem and the temple. We've all known the way of life that we've got comfortable with, robbed from us and our peace shattered. Ezekiel chapter 1 tells us that you can find God at the Kubar River, wherever that is for you today. Don't ask him to speak to your mind. Don't ask him to help you figure it all out. Don't ask him to, to, to give you more intellectual truth but let him meet you in your heart. Because at the end of everything, when it's all fallen apart, when everything has come undone, God is there. Isn't that just fantastically brilliant? At the end of everything, still God. At the end of a cloudy and rainy day, And sometimes we go through very cloudy and very rainy seasons. At the end of a cloud and rainy day, God is there. What does it say? God is there and his radiance was around him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds. God is there. God's bigger than your situation. God's bigger than your understanding and he's bigger than your exile. We worship the God with rims that are high and awesome. You can do anything, any place, anywhere. And comes not to fill your head with more stuff, but comes in all his glory to meet you in your heart. Where is your Kabar River? Where is the place where God feels powerless? Where is the place where it feels like everything else but God reigns?
God wants to meet you there this morning. Let's pray.